of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1. Uh, we'll be reading verses 9 through uh, 15, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 14 and 15 this morning. So, uh, Mark chapter 1, you turn there with me, uh, reading verses 9 uh, through 15. Here now the ever-living, eternal, inerrant, uh, infallible uh, word of the Lord. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning. Lord, we're so thankful that we can sing uh, glorious hymns of praise to you. And we're so thankful that we can have the Bible, uh, your revelation to us of your, your will and purposes, of your character, of our character, and of the, of the Savior himself. And so we pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us even this morning uh, in these words, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, everyone, I think, is familiar with the uh, famous hymn, Onward, uh, Christian Soldiers, uh, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus uh, going on before. Uh, but you may not have heard these verses written by someone who was concerned uh, that the church had lost its sense of mission and calling. They kind of reworked those words of the hymn. And they wrote it this way, backward, Christian soldiers fleeing from the fight uh, with the cross of Jesus nearly out of sight. Christ, our rightful master, stands against the foe, but forward into battle, we are loath to go. Like a mighty tortoise moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where we've always trod. We are much divided, many bodies we Having many doctrines, not much charity. Crowns and thorns may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus hidden does remain. Gates of hell should never against the church prevail. We have Christ's own promise, but think that it will fail. Sit here then, you people. Join our useless throng. Blend with ours your voices in a feeble song. Blessings, ease, and comfort ask from Christ the King. With our modern thinking, hold on, we don't do a thing. Ouch. What does it mean to believe in the gospel? And are we still soldiers of the cross? How big this morning is your gospel? What is the good news actually all about? And this, of course, is why we're studying the gospel of Mark. Right? We want to get the gospel Right. Is it the gospel of my personal salvation? Is it the gospel of one day for the Lord, 
and six days for me? Is it the gospel of uh, squeezing in one hour for church on Sunday and being glad when it's over? Is it the gospel of Christ saving my soul and being Savior of my heart, but don't touch my bank account, my Monday, or my choice of movies? Mark began this book with the words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But what did, what did Jesus himself believe about the gospel? This is what we want to consider this morning. First of all, note that for Jesus, here in Mark 1, uh, timing is everything. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, the first question you would be asking yourself is, what's the connection between Mark 1, verse 13 and Mark 1, verse 14? And how much time has elapsed? You may remember we had last left Jesus in the wilderness, having been tempted by Satan, uh, but angels had come to minister uh, to him. And then Mark moves us on in verse 14 to the arrest of John the baptizer. John, you'll remember, is the cousin of Jesus. He was put in prison by Herod, the ruler of Galilee. Why? Turn with me ahead in your Bible to Mark chapter 6, uh, where we will be told later in the Gospel of Mark uh, and in Jesus' ministry what happened to John. So Mark 6, verse 14, this is what we read. King Herod heard of it, that is, heard of what Jesus was doing, as we'll get to in the Gospel. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, and that's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said of Jesus, he's Elijah, and others said he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised, for it was Herod... This is what happened to John. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he'd married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him uh, to death. So in other words, as we come into Mark 1 here, uh, John's been arrested and, and later Mark tells us what actually happens to John. He ends up losing his head. Um, in other words, John would die as a faithful servant of Christ. Uh, remember, we learned about John the baptizer. He not only preached repentance, but uh, proclaimed that uh, in Jesus was coming one who he wasn't even uh, worthy to uh, untie his, his dirty sandals from off his feet uh, and to do the work of the lowest slave. Uh, and he had also proclaimed how great and mighty and glorious was the one who was coming after him. He was talking about, he was talking about Jesus. And uh, this is really important, though, because right here in Mark, we're told, OK, here's this one who comes preaching repentance. But he actually lived it. Uh, he lived what he believed. Um, he put his life on the line. And confronted others uh, with the need to repent. Faith in Christ, believing the gospel was not just words to John. Right. He applied. Uh, he applied the scripture to his life situation. And he applied it to the political bigwig of the day. Uh, but John, some are prone to say today, perhaps John, listen, why did you do this? Don't mix faith and politics. But John, the Bible is only for the church. It's not meant to be applied to political leaders. Did you know that? But John, just let kings and queens govern themselves by 
by natural law, let's say, however a modern man might determine what is natural. And don't go around applying the Bible to anyone and everybody as if Jesus was Lord overall. The Bible, some might say today to John, who here has been arrested, the Bible is for the church and in the rest of life, man will just use his common sense uh, to figure out what's right and wrong. Like what marriage is. And how to educate our children. And what it means to be a boy or a girl. Now, how's that natural law working out in America today, by the way? What is natural to Americans today is a far away from what God has ordained. No, instead, John was faithful to his king. And John knew that God's word and the authority of Christ is not limited to your closet or to your Sunday. But as Paul would say to the slaves in the Roman Empire who were Christian, remember he said this to the slaves in Colossians, it's the Lord Christ you're serving there in your slavery. You're serving him even even there. In the humblest of callings and in the most responsible of callings, we live quorum Deo before the face of God. And we're called to submit ourselves to the one who proclaimed that he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus, Lord and King. And that's the thing. So John knew that that meant every other king must bow and submit to King Jesus and the word of King Jesus, and that brought him trouble, imprisonment, and eventually death. And here in Mark 1, the fact of John's arrest, here's the thing, it serves as a marker in the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew puts it this way. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, uh, he withdrew into Galilee, because Jesus also was in Judea. So Jesus had heard John was arrested. When he hears of John's arrest, uh, Matthew says he withdraws. Mark says he came into Galilee. That's about 100 miles north, let's say, of Judea. From which he had come. He had come from Galilee in verse 9 of Mark 1. Come to John to be baptized. And the question is, is why? Why, after John's arrest, does Jesus go to Galilee? Well, keep in mind that Mark is bringing us forward here in the life and ministry of Jesus. Remember, uh, John is a com- or Mark is a compact gospel. It moves quickly. He uses that word immediately so often. He doesn't tell us everything uh, that Jesus did in his life and ministry. You remember John in his gospel in John 20 says that Jesus said and did. Think about this. You think the Bible's big now. Uh, John said Jesus did uh, and said many more things. Not all recorded in the scripture. Uh, but these have been written that you might believe Jesus is the Christ and that by believing we may have life in his name. In other words, the Bible tells us uh, the gospel record writers didn't record uh, everything. And if you, in fact, look at the gospel of John, chapters 1 to 4, you're going to find Jesus did a lot of other things in Judea uh, between uh, Matthew 1, or Mark 1, 13 and 14. He actually did a lot of things. If you read John 1 to 4, uh, Jesus interacts with John the Baptist. He changes water into wine at the wedding of Cana. Uh, the disciples of John are, become concerned about Jesus' popularity. Uh, Jesus meets the woman at the well. He encounters Nicodemus. Uh, and he has a ministry in Samaria. And all these things seem to happen in between Mark 1, 13 and Mark 1, 14, which Mark doesn't include. And it was in that time period uh, where John had said of Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that was what was happening. Uh, Jesus was increasing uh, and John was arrested. So why would Jesus go into Galilee at this point when his ministry is increasing? 
And John has been arrested. Well, listen to William Hendrickson, a Reformed commentator of an earlier generation. The real reason was this, that he was well aware of the fact, Jesus, that his own great popularity in the country region of Judea would bring about such keen resentment on the part of the Judean religious leaders that this resentment in the natural course of events would lead to a premature crisis. The Lord knew that for every event in his life, there was an appointed time in God's decree. And he also knew that the appropriate moment for his death had not yet arrived. As soon as that moment arrived, he would voluntarily lay down his life. He'd do so then, but not before then. Hence, he must now leave Judea. So in these verses, though Mark does not record it, much ministry has happened. Jesus has increased in popularity. John has been arrested, uh, but Jesus withdraws to Galilee because uh, it is not yet the appointed time for him to be arrested. Why is this important? Well, for Jesus, God's timing is everything. For every event in his life, said Hendrickson, there was an appointed time in God's degree. There was an appointed time in the life of Jesus for everything he said and did. The same, of course, is true for you and me. Appointed time. Psalm 139 tells us, this is an amazing verse, remember? Psalm 139 tells us the days, the days ordained for us are written in his book before one of them comes to be. Every day of your life and my life is written in his book before one of them comes to be, writes Paul in Ephesians 1.11, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things, people, places, times, and seasons. Uh, Jesus knew this. In fact, uh, here in Mark 1, as Jesus himself has been baptized, been equipped by the Holy Spirit, he's heard the testimony of the Father, he's withstood the temptation of Satan. He himself, the Bible tells us, begins to preach, herald, and proclaim. And part of what he proclaims is this in verse 15. Uh, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled, or the time has been fulfilled. This is what Jesus proclaims. Like all of Jesus' life and ministry, he is what he is, he does what he does in fulfillment of God's word and purpose, and according to God's timing. At the end of Mark, when the crowd comes with Judas to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is what we'll read. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the Scripture be uh, fulfilled. You know, the Word of God, the Scripture, it's going to be fulfilled, says Jesus. Six times that phrase appears in Luke. Nine times in John. Fifteen times in Matthew that the Scripture would be fulfilled. So Jesus is all about seeing the Scripture fulfilled, but he's also all about proclaiming that here the, the time, the time is fulfilled. That is, God's divine timetable is coming to a, a climax in the appearing of Jesus. Now, the word time here is not the word chronos. You know that word. We get our word chronology. Um, that means linear, minute-by-minute, clock-ticking kind of time. You know, when you're late for church. Ah, that's chronos. 
Uh, but there's another word in Greek for the word time. It's the word kairos, which is really time in the sense of an, an appointed time or an ordained time. And that's the one used here. This morning in adult education and Sunday school, we were remembering that in the garden, uh, a seed was promised who would come and bruise the serpent's head. Abraham had been promised a seed who would come to bring blessing to the nations. Uh, David had been promised a son who would sit on his throne forever and ever. A time to come. And people of God were waiting and waiting and waiting. But now, now, says Jesus, now the time has been fulfilled. The time is fulfilled the time is now. I don't know if you watch the, uh, the ball drop on New Year's Eve in Times Square. You know, that's probably a, a good example of millions of people right, being greatly concerned about time. Or think back to December 31st, if you're old enough. December 31st, 1999. And people were waiting for the clock to turn to 2000. Not knowing what was going to happen when the clock struck Midnight, or if you've had children coming to full term, you're waiting for the time of delivery. Jesus begins to proclaim, the Bible says. Jesus begins to preach. Jesus begins to herald the good news. And what does he say? The time is fulfilled. Galatians 4, 4, 5, the Apostle Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Elsewhere, Paul writes, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, remember these words? For he says, the Lord says, In a favorable time, I listen to you. And in a day of visitation, a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Jesus comes and He preaches the time is fulfilled. You remember, there's an urgency uh, in the Gospel of Mark. He uses that word immediately, often. And here Jesus comes and says, listen, the time is now. Now is the time, not tomorrow. Now is the time to repent, not tomorrow. Now's the time to believe in the gospel, not tomorrow. Every moment, friends, of Jesus' life, decisions made, roads taken, is a fulfillment of the plan and purpose and word and timing of God. And he knew, as we need to know, that every moment of our life is lived within the divine timetable of our sovereign God. Birth, life, death, this place, that place, this time. That time, all, all in his hands. And for Jesus, you see, of course, for Jesus to fulfill the Father's will in the Father's timing was his great uh, delight. Right? He came to do his Father's will. It was his joy. And so John's arrested and Jesus comes to Galilee and proclaims the time is fulfilled. And the question, of course, is the time for what? Timing is everything. And secondly, the gospel is much bigger than you think. 
Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, John the baptizer, remember, he preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. John preached of the might and glory of Jesus, the one who was to come. Um, uh, So glorious, so powerful, so majestic. Jesus preached, the Bible says, the gospel of God. Now that phrase appears many times in the scripture. It appears here in Mark. We find it in Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Romans 15:16. On some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. 1 Thessalonians 2:2. 2, 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 1 Thessalonians 2:8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our own selves. Because you've become very dear to us. First Thessalonians 2.9 For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. First Peter 4.17 For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's the gospel of of God. That is, first of all, it is the gospel of God subjectively. That is, it's the gospel belonging to God. It's news belonging to God. It's His news. He's bringing the news. He's bringing the message. It comes from Him. He is the source. We find this used in 2 Corinthians 11.7 where Paul, he's defending his apostolic authority and he says, Or did I commit a sin, he's saying to the church there, and humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you. Free of charge. That is the gospel belonging to God. It's news belonging to God. It's news that has its source in God. Not from the early church. It's news not coming from a pastor. Not coming from It's news from God. It belongs to Him. Said J.C. Ryle, the religion of Christ must have been from heaven. Or it never could have prospered and overspread the earth as it's done. It's vain for infidels to attempt to answer this argument. It cannot be answered. A religion which did not flatter the rich, the great, and the learned. A religion which offered no license to the carnal inclinations of man's heart. A religion whose first teachers were, remember, poor fishermen, or we're going to find that next time, poor fishermen, without wealth or rank or power, said Ryle, such a religion could never have turned the world upside down if it had not been of God. Look at the Roman emperors and the heathen priests with their splendid temples on the one side. Look at a few unlearned working men with the gospel on the other. Were there ever two parties so unequally matched? Yet the weak proved strong and the strong proved weak. Heathenism fell and Christianity took its place. Said Ra, Christianity must be of God. And friends, it's a good thing it's God's gospel. Because that means, first of all, it never changes, of course. It's his news. It doesn't belong to the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, as it didn't belong to the Presbyterian Church in the United States of America, as it didn't belong to any other denomination. It's God's news through men and women 
and children. It's a good thing. It's God's gospel. We need it evermore today. In the face of a new paganism, which is simply the old paganism renewed, I was reading this past week, National Geographic reported this past week this. At least 1.5 million people in the United States identify as pagans. That's how they identify. You know, people identify. They identify as pagans. Up, says National Geographic, from 134,000 in 2001. So in 2001, 134,000 people in our country said, I'm a pagan. Today, 20 years later, a little bit more, uh, 1.5 million people say they're a pagan. If that rate continues in, in 20 more years, 15 million people will say they're pagan. And in 20 more years, 150 million people will say in this country, proudly, loudly, I identify as a pagan. If, you know, if, you know, there wasn't such a thing as the gospel faithfully proclaimed in the land. Jesus came and proclaimed the gospel. What are people following today? Well, National Geographic said they range these pagans from Wiccans and Kemetics. Kemetics is a, a big word for ancient Egyptian religion. To TikTok witches, witches on TikTok and heathens. And that doesn't even include practical pagans. Now, this is really strange. Uh, National Geographic saying there's a revival of ancient Egyptian religion. As if the book of Exodus and the ten plagues, which demonstrated conclusively that the God of the Bible is the only Lord of heaven and earth, never happened at all. Jesus proclaimed God's gospel. His message but it can also be understood objectively that it is the gospel that is about God. It is the gospel of God. That is, it is the good news concerning God. It's good news from God, yes, but even more so, it is good news about God. The good news is the triune person of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is important. John Piper in his book, God is the Gospel, helpfully wrote this. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people, listen to this, this is a great sentence, and people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there, will not be there. The Gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It is a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we've not been converted by the gospel, said Piper. That is simply, God is not a means to an end. Uh, he is the end. When Jesus comes, time is now. It's the gospel of God. It's His message, and it's all about Him. His power and glory and beauty and majesty. The good news then, friends, Jesus proclaimed this, first of all, not a doctrine, not a method, not a scientific discovery, not a new diet, not a philosophy, not a self-help program, not a get-rich-quick scheme, not a moral lesson. It's not a myth. It's not a coping mechanism. It's not a gimmick. It's not a joke. It's a, it's a person. It's the gospel of God. Or as Mark began, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Writes Paul in St. Corinthians 4, for what we proclaim, see if you could say this yourself, what I proclaim, what you proclaim to your neighbors or friends or as a parent, what Paul wrote in St. Corinthians 4, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, 
but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of what? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes, friends, proclaiming, preaching, heralding, announcing. It means to declare authoritatively. This is, of course, part of the offense of the gospel. Jesus does not appear on the scene suggesting or engaging in a dialogue of give and take. No helpful hints from Jesus. Jesus does not come upon the scene and say, let's sit down and have a discussion about what you believe about the divine being. No, no, he doesn't. He proclaims, and the message is repent. Turn away from your sin. Believe in the Gospel. Have faith in this good news. Embrace this truth. It's the same message as John. It's time to repent. It's time to turn away from sin. And believe in the good news. It's time to turn from self and embrace the Savior. He is the good news. These two always go together, of course. Repentance and faith. And Mark, friends, makes clear just what time is being fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. Notice what Jesus says. The time is fulfilled in the Kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king has come and the kingdom is at hand. The gospel, friends, is much bigger than you think. It's time, says Jesus, to forsake allegiance to the illegitimate prince Satan and pledge allegiance to the true king, Jesus. The Christian's first and primary and ultimate allegiance is not to any kingdom of man, not to any earthly kingdom or nation or country, which are all passing away. And the Bible says these kingdoms, they rise and they fall. The Christian's allegiance is to King Jesus and His kingdom. And His flag embraces men and women and children of every tribe, every nation, every language, and every people. The kingdom of God is at hand. Later in Colossians 1.13, Paul describes the conversion of a sinner to faith in Christ this way. He, that's God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what it means to be a Christian, that the King has come and He's He's rescued you. He's rescued me out of a life and domain of darkness, walking in the darkness, and He's transferred me. He's taken me out so that I might live and walk and serve and worship uh, in the kingdom of His beloved His beloved Son. Repenting of sin, believing in the Gospel, friends, means nothing less than your transfer from one kingdom to another. The transfer of allegiance from one master to another. The reorientation of our heart from service of sin to the service of the Savior. A life lived in the darkness to a life lived in the light. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Bible knows of only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Satan and there's the kingdom of God. And all of life is lived in service to either one kingdom or the other. Our heart is oriented to one of those kingdoms or the other. So much so that when the Apostle Paul is addressing slaves, as we said, in the Roman Empire in the first century, he tells them, whatever you do, as a slave in the Roman Empire, whatever you do, work heartily, work hard as for the Lord and not for men. You're serving the Lord Christ as a slave at the plant, in the kitchen, 
at the office, at the hospital. It's the Lord Christ you are serving as a Christian. Because you've been brought into His kingdom. No longer servants of sin, but servants of righteousness. So for Lord of the Rings fans, no longer orcs and Urukai in Sauron's army, but hobbits and elves in the service of the true king. There's a reason you know why the return of the king won 11 Academy Awards. Because of the story it told. You see. No longer slaves of Satan, soldiers of Christ. The kingdom of God, says Jesus, is at hand. What is the kingdom? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 28:18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is, the kingdom of God, friends, is around. Uh, Jesus is king. He rules, the Bible says, overall. The psalmist puts it this way, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. There's no area of life anywhere over which the realm of Christ's rule does not extend. And the kingdom of God is not only about the realm of Christ's rule, but about the reign of Christ's rule. That is, the kingdom of God, friends, is wherever that rule of Christ is manifest in the hearts and lives of his people. Wrote Paul in Colossians 1.18, he's the head of the body of the church, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, in everything he might be preeminent, that is supreme, or have first place. Jesus is to rule and reign supremely in every area of our life. And the good news is, the gospel of God, the kingdom of God, is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The king has come and you are to repent and embrace this good news and enter into this kingdom over which Jesus Christ reigns. This is good news. That there is a, a kingdom. That there is a, there is a higher throne. And it belongs to Jesus Christ the King. And, and now is the time. And that's why, friends, Mark wants to hurry us. He wants to hurry us through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to get to the end. He wants to, he wants to not only tell you what Jesus is preaching, but He wants to, he wants to get to the cross. And, and then He wants to get to the, to the resurrection. And He wants to get to that, that point where you see, well, no, yes, this, this Jesus is coming. He is the King. And He's conquered death and hell and sin. And He's risen again. He's my resurrected Savior. And He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I want to bow before Him. Because as we read earlier today, uh, He's also, as the Father, full of mercy and grace for sinners. That we, as sinners, might enter into the the realm and the reign of Jesus. Find life and peace and righteousness and blessing and hope in Him. Jesus came and He preached the Gospel of God and His Kingdom. How big is your Gospel? The Bible knows nothing of the gospel of my personal salvation. 
Nowhere in the Bible will you find that. But what you will find uh, is a much bigger gospel that includes your salvation, but is all about the greatness and majesty of the God who has come in the flesh, Jesus Christ, Lord and King, who's established His kingdom and has called us then to pray, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May that be uh, our faith. Uh, May we hear Jesus this morning. It's His news. Repent. Turn from sin. Embrace the King who has come for our salvation. May it be true of you. May it be true of me. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, for this good news. We thank You, Lord, that uh, this is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and We thank You, Lord, for the preaching, the heralding, the proclaiming we hear this morning from the lips of Jesus, not from our denomination, not from a pastor in a pulpit, but the very uh, words of Jesus calling us to repent and believe and to put our faith in this good news. The King has come. He's come to rescue us out of the domain of darkness. Help us, Lord, by Your Spirit today to embrace Him as not only the King of others, but our King, our Lord, and our Savior. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.